Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Hey, good morning, church family. Josh here at the church facility. I'm up here in the office space that I get to use up above the cafe. I call it the upper room. <laughs> we're doing things a little bit differently this Celebration Sunday. First of all, we're online only uh, because of how many of the team are unavailable due to sickness and whatnot. And then the second thing we're doing differently is we're going to chop the sermon up into two sections. We're doing this Get Together series. We're talking about two one another's of the New Testament each Sunday. So I'm going to start by talking about instructing one another, and then we're going to talk about honoring one another in another sermonette towards the end of the service. Okay? Turn to Romans in your Bible. Grab a Bible, follow along. We're going to be in the book of Romans. We're going to be in chapter 15. But Romans is Paul's essay on the gospel. It's the theology of the good news of Jesus Christ. It's a really deep book. It's like the most theologically deep book in the New Testament. I would encourage you to study it out. There's a ton of stuff in there. There's Romans chapter 3. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 6. The wages of that sin then is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you you will be saved. Romans chapter 8, God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then you have um, in Romans chapter 5, we've been made right in God's sight by faith, through faith. We have peace with God because of what Jesus has done for us. Romans 8, no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then later on in Romans chapter 8, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You, death can't separate you. Life can't separate you. Not angels, not demons, not the fear for today or the worries about tomorrow. Not even hell itself can separate you from the love of God. That's the gospel message that we preach as a church. So Paul says, here's the gospel. Here's what it means to be a true Christian. Here's why we submit to authority. Here's why we practice love as Christians because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then we come to Romans chapter 15. And while we're reading, I want you to think about where instruction begins. Where does instruction begin? Romans 15, verses 1 to 4. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Strong and weak, being built up. Christ's sacrifice, the written history, written for our instruction, endurance, encouragement of the scriptures. So where does instruction start? If you know, you can type it in the comments. Instruction starts with scripture, with truth. It's knowing the truth of the gospel. When Paul talks about the strong and the weak, he's not referring to muscles. He's not referring to how much weight you can lift off the ground. He's talking about knowledge, practice in the scriptures, wisdom, understanding. And that's just common sense, isn't it? 
I mean, how can you teach something without knowing something? If you don't know the subject, how can you teach the subject? And case in point, have you ever taken your vehicle to a mechanic? Uh, those of us who don't know anything about vehicles or mechanics. And you try and explain the issue, but you have no idea what you're talking about. You've been there. It's like, um, I think it's that metal thingy under the car that's connected to the plastic thingy. And it looks like they're moving. And every time I turn to the left, it makes a thurger rump and it goes like this. <laughs> and we really have no clue what we're talking about. And the mechanic is like, uh-huh, yeah, sure. <laughs> but we all know what that's like to try and explain something that we don't know anything about. Paul says, Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. And that term instruction means not only information, but application as well. It's not just the training, it's the practice, putting it into practice, the knowledge and the experience. You see, scripture isn't just something to read, it's something to do. It's something to act on. The sermon isn't just entertainment. I hope you're not just eating popcorn at home thinking, I hope Josh tells us a really good joke or something that we can share this week. The sermon is a call to action. Today I'm calling you to instruct one another and to honor one another. Truth isn't just something we know, it's something that we practice. And God forbid we become a church of Bible gluttons that just take in truth and consume content and watch all the videos on Right Now Media and listen to all the sermons and read all the books, but never do anything with it. If we're not putting the truth into practice, we're just truth gluttons. We're just hoarding it for ourselves and it's not translating into wisdom. It's not translating into spiritual disciplines. It's not exercising and putting into action and producing fruit of the Spirit if we're not using it. It's one thing to know stuff. It's another thing to act on that knowledge. That's wisdom. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Preaching is not just for pastors. He's not just talking to pastors here. He says, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And then he says, instruct them to observe all that I have commanded you. Matthew chapter 28, read it. Instruct them to observe all that I have instructed you. So instructing one another is from the Great Commission. Instructing one another is at the heart of the mission, at the heart of the gospel. This isn't just one of the 24 one another's that we're going through over 12 weeks in this Get It Together series. This is at the heart of the Great Commission to be able to instruct one another. We learn about Jesus from Jesus and then we pass it on. Instructing one another, being disciples, making disciples. That's our mission. Instructing one another is key. We're all called to instruct. You may not feel like a teacher. You may not feel gifted as a preacher. I know I sure didn't. You might be introverted. You might be shy. You might prefer to be in the background. That was me. But we're all called to instruct. See, here's where the lie creeps in. We say things like, um, I really miss Journey Kids because I'm really sad that, that my kids aren't learning about the Bible without having Journey Kids. I wish I could take my kids and drop them off at Journey Kids so they could learn about the Bible. Well, that's not the mission of Journey Kids. Are your kids going to learn truth through Journey Kids, through the GROW curriculum that we use for Journey Kids? Yeah, for sure they're gonna learn truth. I hope they're gonna learn truth. If it's not about the truth, then we shouldn't be doing it. But the mission of Journey Kids is not to package up the truth nicely and give it to your kids and that's all they need for the week. The mission of Journey Kids is to partner with parents, to empower parents, to resource parents, to call parents to action so that the parents are the ones 
who are discipling their kids. Because parents, you have the most time with your kids, far beyond what a Journey Kids leader has. The lie goes something like this. My friend is asking a lot of Jesus questions, and I'm not really sure how to answer them all. So I'm just going to suggest that he talk to my pastor. Can I give him your cell phone number? <laughs> no, <laughs> you can't. <laughs> Uh, are the pastors available to meet? Yes, we sure are. We want to meet with you. We want to talk to you. Are the pastors available to chat about truth? Yes, we want to talk about truth. Do the pastors know how to answer basic Bible questions? I sure hope so. Otherwise, we wouldn't be pastors. And if we have to say, I don't know, we can find resources to help you. But is it the pastor's job to disciple your friend? No, it's your job. We're all called to instruct one another. We can't just leave the preaching and the teaching and the instructing and the training to the people who typically do it from the stage of the church, from the front of Journey Kids, the leader of the program. Talk to your life group leader. Talk to the person about these Jesus questions who mentors you, the person you sit beside, the person you watch church services with. It doesn't just have to be the pastor, the kids leader, the youth leader, the person responsible for the ministry. We're all called to instruct one another. Here's the point. Instructing one another is not just something we can leave to professional paid people. It's your duty and it's my duty. We're called to instruct one another. This is what Jesus calls us to. Okay, I'm going to read Romans 14. Uh, no, sorry, <laughs> I'm not. I'm going to read Romans 15, 14 to 16. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Thanks, Emma. Uh, I want to put the kibosh on a couple excuses that we have when it comes to instructing one another. First of all, you may not feel like the verse said that Emma read, satisfied, full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able. Like Paul says of the Roman believers, you know, you may feel like I do most of the time, severely unqualified and ignorant. I had a parent, uh, a mom of a teenage kid whose life was headed in the wrong direction really fast. Uh, a number of years ago, she came to me and she said, you've got to talk to my son. He's in with the wrong friends. There's drugs. We found pornography. We've tried to talk to him about these things. He just gets mad. He storms off. We don't know what else we can do. And then she said something along these lines that I'll never forget. You are our last hope. Would you talk to him? Oh boy. And like a naive young pastor that I was and that I still very much am, I said, I'd be happy to meet with your son and to try and correct him. But in my heart, and my mind, I was saying, you fool. <laughs> Do you really think that you have anything to say to this kid that's going to steer him back from the direction that he's going? <laughs> I mean, you've never dealt with this. You aren't equipped to handle the drug talk. Do you even really know this kid? That's the, the voices that run around in our head. And we disqualify ourselves before we even have the talk. I can't do this. I'm not capable. I'm not able. I don't know all the information I should know. But I don't think Paul is telling the Romans, you've arrived. You know, you finally are good. You finally know everything there is to know about Scripture. And now you're able. You have the ability to instruct one another. I don't think that's the emphasis that Paul is putting on here. I think Paul is pointing out something within them 
That term able that Paul uses is the Greek term that we get the word dynamite from. Dynamos, dynamic, it's power. And there's this understanding that it is God-enabled power. It's power that comes from God, not power that comes from within us. Verse 15, Paul's words are enabled by the grace of God. Verse 16, Gentiles are enabled by the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, by the power of the Spirit of God. Paul isn't saying their ability comes from their own effort or their performance, even their training. It comes from the Holy Spirit that God has placed within them that enables them to do so. It's God's power working through us in the form of the Holy Spirit that he has placed within us the moment we trust Christ as Savior. He's responsible for the goodness. He's responsible for the knowledge, illuminating, remembering, bringing to mind. He is the ability within us. You know, maybe you think, well, I've only been a Christian for a couple years. How can I instruct somebody else? The reality is Jesus was only with his disciples for a couple years, and they're the ones who led the early church. Well, I don't know enough yet to instruct someone else. Well, let's chase that down a little bit. Why is that? Why don't you know enough? Is it because you don't have resources? Because if you fill out that connect card, we want to get resources into your hand. Is it because you don't have somebody to disciple you and to mentor you? I can guarantee there are people in our church family who would love to sit down and disciple you and mentor you. Or is it that you don't have a desire to learn? Maybe that's something that you need to talk to God about and search your heart for. Able to instruct one another. The Greek term for instruction here, it's different from the Greek term instruct at the start of chapter 15. This term for instruct means to positively correct. It means constructive criticism. It means encouraging positive change through reasoning of the mind, through knowledge. Paul gives an example and he says, look, there have been some topics that I've had to write very boldly to you on, some heavy stuff that I've had to say to you. And I don't think Paul said those things because he's ticked off at them or because he's frustrated or mad or because he really wants to get at them. He's saying those things because he loves them. He wants what's best for them. He wants to remind them of the truth so that they can walk in it, so that they can pass it on, so that they can instruct one another. Loving correction is a tricky topic. And that's where instruction can get difficult. Let me give you a few pointers. First of all, relationship is everything. If you don't have relationship with the person that you're seeking to correct, it's going to be very difficult. Relationship is king. That's why we're talking about the one another's. That's why our mission is to grow together, disciples making disciples. That's why our motto is share the journey. That's why our life group's purpose is to do life together. That's why our central core value is community. Life is relationships. God is a relational God. Our identity is found in our relationship with God. We are known and we have belonging in relationships. It's all about relationships. If you don't have a relationship with, if you don't know, if you don't care for, if you don't love the person that you're seeking to correct, then don't because it's not going to work. It's like when someone has something stuck in their teeth and you don't walk up to a stranger in the grocery store and say, hey, just so you know, it looks like you got a big hunk of meat or whatever you're eating for lunch stuck in your teeth and you might want to pull that out, we're not going to do that with a stranger in the grocery store. And if you've done that, I would love to hear the story. Fill out the connect card and tell me how it turned out. You need to leave it to a close friend to point that stuff out. You don't walk around to strangers and tell them what's wrong with their appearance. Someone they know and trust, someone who loves them because relationship is everything. 
Now, secondly, second little tip. If you're going to lovingly correct a brother or a sister in Christ, if you're going to instruct them in what is right in a place that maybe they have erred, then use the sandwich rule. Do you know the sandwich rule? You, you take a tough truth and you sandwich it between two affirmations. So you tell them something good and loving about who they are and what they've done. You tuck that tough corrective instruction in between and then you finish it off with another loving affirmation. It looks like this. Hey, I really appreciate how you're always... And I think if we made this change, it would help the team out. I really appreciate the way that you talked to that situation the other day. And that's what it looks like. And statistically, positives to negatives, you want way more positives. The stat just keeps going up. Thirdly, if, if you're not accustomed to practicing regular encouragement, you're probably not the right person to give loving correction. You need to start with instructing one another by way of encouragement and just get used to talking about God with other people, his love, his glory, his gospel, and see where that gets you before you reach out in loving correction. If the first communication you ever have with a brother or sister in Christ is correcting them on something you think you see wrong in their life, then you might be the one who's wrong. We need to get used to instructing one another in the scriptures, not always correctively, sometimes encouragingly, just reminding them of God's promises and the good things in the word of God before you seek to correct issues that you see in their life. Hey, I'm back, and this time we're in another spot that I like to study. This is our kitchen at home. We've talked about instructing one another. Whose job is that? Is it just for the person who's up on stage at the church building? Is it just for the person who sits on the board as a deacon? Is it just for the person at the front of the Journey Kids program facilitating it? No. Instructing one another is a one another. It's for all of us to be participating in and doing. It starts with being in the scriptures, knowing the word of God, meditating on it, tucking it away in our hearts, praying through it, reading through the Bible. And then it's all about relationships. And we need to be practicing this on a daily basis, encouraging one another in the word of God, in relationships. We just need to get used to talking about God, talking about the Bible in everyday conversations. Not necessarily this sort of setting where we've come together for this purpose, but just in the everyday as we talk with one another. Let's have relationships where we're encouraging one another in the scriptures before we seek to lovingly correct one another from the scriptures. Now, let's turn to Romans chapter 12 and we'll talk about honoring one another. Romans 12 verse 9. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection out to one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of saints and seek to show hospitality. Romans 12, verse 9. Romans 12, verse 9. So chapter 12 is all about self-denial, self-sacrifice, putting others first, serving the body instead of serving ourselves. 
These are the marks of a true Christian. They will know we are Christians by our love for one another brotherly affection, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, our genuine sacrificial love. They will know we are Christians because we hold to what is good and we turn away from what is evil. We're not woe is me victims, but we're rejoicing, hope-filled, we're patient, we're steady, we're generous, we're hospitable, like we talked about last week with greeting one another. That's what chapter 12 is all about. And then Paul says we're to outdo one another in showing honor. Now, it's very rare that scripture tells us to compete to outdo one another. But Paul likes this athletic running the race picture. He uses it in a few different places. But humanity seems to have this competitive gene, don't we? Like we have this inner voice telling us to be the first, to go faster, to get ahead of the next guy. And I don't know, maybe being competitive is, is more a man thing, but even if I'm not in a rush, if I'm just driving to some place and I've got all kinds of time, I still have this little thought that I need to get ahead of the person in front of me. What is that? Do you have that? Do you have a, a competitive spirit, this inner voice telling you that you need to get ahead? It kind of flies in the face of this chapter, doesn't it? I, I love Paul's writing style. He's telling us in chapter 12, put others first. Let others go in front of you. Make, make sure you put yourself at the back. And then he says, outdo one another. Compete with one another. Get ahead of the next guy and be the first to which kind of seems contradictory on a surface level when you first look at it, until you think about the direction and the focus of that competitive spirit. We're to outdo one another in showing honor, in showing honor. So we need to talk about honor. Uh, as in any competition, you need a clear and well-defined goal, right? The net, the basketball hoop, the end zone. You need a clear goal for every competition. So we need to understand what honor is. And sometimes, Honor gets misinterpreted as respect, just showing respect. Well, they're different, and here's why. Respect is earned. Honor is given or shown, as Paul says. Respect is earned, honor is given. So the Greek word here for honor is time, and it's kind of a financial term. It's like to show worth, value, appreciation, a price, paying a price, for something and therefore showing value to something. Whereas respect is often translated from a Greek word pointing to partiality, judgment, a response to appearances. If we approve of what we see, then we will show respect. You've earned my respect. I can respect that, right? Whereas honor is offered, it's freely given. Now let me explain it further. If respect is earned, and honor is given, that means the basis for our honor is not somebody's performance or how respectable of a person they are, whether or not they deserve our honor. That's not the basis for showing honor. I need to honor everyone regardless of whether or not they are a respectable person. First Peter chapter 2 tells us honor everyone. That's pretty clear, isn't it? We need to honor everyone. Love the brotherhood, fear God. And then it says, honor the emperor. That can be a difficult one. Uh, another example, you may or may not have respectable parents that earned your respect in how they parented you and raised you. But in Exodus chapter 20, the Hebrew people are commanded, honor 
your father and mother, that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. It doesn't matter who your father and mother were or weren't or should have been or you need to honor your father and mother, the Bible says, regardless of their performance or how respectable of parents they were. You may not like who's in charge, who the boss is, who's in office. You may disagree with their politics, but we're called to honor those in authority. Just look at the next chapter in Romans. Flip over to uh, Romans 13 and you'll see, honor the the authorities, honor the elderly, stand up when an older person walks into the room. Uh, Those who teach scripture, worthy of double honor. I like that one. And scripture tells us, of course, to honor God. Now, respect is earned, but honor is given freely. Honor is the value that you place on another regardless of the return on investment, regardless of this you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours mentality, regardless of what can you do for me thinking. It's it's honoring someone, placing value on them, even if you're not getting that value turned back to you. We're not competing to show the most honor so that it raises and appreciates our value and our worth and our honor. It's freely given. It's shown. It's offered under this umbrella of being a living sacrifice and putting other people first, putting other people before yourself. Okay, so what does this look like practically? Well, here it is. And this is as simple as I can put it. Showing honor is a race to be at the back of the line. Showing honor is a race to be last in line. It's to be the first at putting others first. Do you see what I'm saying? It's like an Atlantic Canadian standoff. Do you know what that is? It's like when you're coming out of the store and I'm going into the store and I open the door and you're standing there and you say, no, you first. And I say, no, I've got the door. Come on out. And you say, no, I insist you first. And I say, no, I got the door. You come on out. An Atlantic Canadian standoff. We are racing to be first in serving one another. No, you go first. I insist. You are valuing and appreciating, showing worth by laying your own tasks, your own schedule, your own prerogatives aside and helping somebody else succeed. It's like when I'm working here at the table and my daughter Jade comes up to show me something or tell me something and I say, Jade, Daddy's gotta work on his computer. And then 20 minutes later, Jade comes back and she's trying to show me something or tell me something. It's like, Jade, I told you I'm trying to get some important stuff done on my computer. You're gonna have to come back later. Then an hour later, Jade comes back and I'm like, ah, I'm really trying to get this finished up before supper. What does that communicate to my daughter over time? That daddy's too busy and he doesn't have time for me, and maybe his work is more important, that important work he keeps talking about is important than whatever I have to tell him or show him. And I really hope she doesn't get that impression, and I need to be mindful and take the opportunity to say, okay, what is it you wanted to show me? Let's talk about it. Let's enter into a conversation, and therefore put worth and value on her above my own tasks. That's putting other people first. That's showing honor to others. Even when you have a busy day or a lot to accomplish, we're, we're trying to teach our kids this lesson and kids are so transparent. They just show us human nature at all corners. They always wanna be first. And whether you have kids or not, whether you work with kids, it's, it's just human nature. We wanna be first. And my son Reese will always say like, I won and Jade lost and then he'll rub it in, ha 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 ha. Elsie and I usually respond like, really, what did you win? Where's your trophy? Where's your medal? Oh, that's right. 
it's not a competition. We all won because we all had fun together. It's not about being first. Something along those lines. But we love being first, don't we? Elsie and I really enjoy watching The Amazing Race. It's a pretty good show. Actually, we were talking about this with our life group last night, last night as I'm recording this. And Luke in our life group, he said he actually met the host of Amazing Race Canada a number of years back in St. John, New Brunswick, and he was a pretty nice guy. So there you go. But The Amazing Race, the name says it all. It's a race to all these destinations around the world, and there's all these teams competing in the race. And just by nature of the show, they're trying to be first. The first to figure out the clue, the first to find the destination, the first of the pit stop, the first to accomplish the task, the first everywhere. And human nature works its way out in there and you have teams who try and get ahead with maybe dirty play, secret strategies, complaining, grumbling, backbiting, gossip, maybe trying to pull other teams down to get themselves ahead, maybe stealing other teams' taxis. They're just, they're trying to get ahead by whatever means necessary and so many times it rubs the other teams the wrong way. And I've only seen a few seasons of the show, but you know what I've learned? Those people who try and get ahead with dirty play or pulling other people down or clawing and grappling to be first to the demise of all the other teams with no thought or care to the other teams, they lose. (laughs) They almost always lose because they get so caught up in pulling themselves ahead and pulling other teams back. They're trying to get into other teams' heads so much so that they lose focus on running their own race and they make mistakes, they get behind, the other teams avoid them and it's just a really bad experience for them. You've probably heard the saying, nice guys finish last. And I think the opposite is true. When when you try and scratch and pull other people back to try and promote yourself, to climb the ladder, to leave other people in the dust, to sever ties with people who are holding you back so that you can get yourself ahead, then maybe that's exactly what'll happen. You'll win your little competition you're in, but you'll find out you lose in the long run. You lose relationships. You realize you may have made it to the top, but it's lonely at the top. And all those people you left in the dust were more important than winning the competition that you thought was so important. And you realize you're alone. It doesn't pay to try and get ahead by pulling other people behind. Instead, Paul tells us to race to be last. Be the first to serve. Be a leader in exemplifying service. It's like when Jesus uh, took the towel and girded himself, got down on his hands and knees and started washing the disciples' feet. And he says, just as I have set the example of serving, so you need to serve others. Jesus was the first to show honor and appreciation and value. And it was an example so that his disciples could go and do the same. Being the first to serve. It's like, um, is there anybody here who'd be willing to, yep, that's me but you haven't even heard what I want you to do. That's fine, I'm ready to serve. I'm gonna be the first to serve. I'm there, I'm your man. We all know people like that, right? People that you know, if you send a text or a call to, they would be the first one, the first to offer help, the first to pray, the first to get the shovel and the salt, the first to change the light bulb, the first to help. You have people in your life like that. And it it gives you great appreciation and value and honor when somebody is willing to step out of their busy schedule to help you. Be the first to help, the first to serve, the first to support, to show honor. I appreciate you. I value you. I place worth on you when I put your needs ahead of my own. 
I'm reading from Colossians 3, 15-17. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So, instructing one another and honoring one another. Is Christ ruling in your heart? Or have maybe you usurped that throne and you're the one who's ruling in your own heart? Are you valuing and honoring the body that you get to be a member of? The local church? All these one another's we're talking about? Are you showing honor and value to the people who are in your life? Or are you trying to promote yourself to the degradation of the people around you? Is the word of Christ dwelling in you richly so that you can teach and admonish and sing hymns and songs and spiritual songs to one another? It starts with being in the word of God. Do you value being in the family of God and do you value the word of God? If you do, then Christ should be the one ruling and reigning in your heart. It should be his will, not yours. It should be his mission and not your self-promotion. Our band is going to come back and we're going to sing a closing song. But before we do, would you pray with me? Let's pray. God, I want to thank you. Would you help us to do everything in the name of Jesus? To honor, to instruct for God's glory in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Spirit. Would you help us to get our eyes off of our weakness and onto your strength? As we sing this closing song, would you remind us that redemption does win, that someday the struggle will end, and that you're the healer. You can mend our brokenness. And out of our brokenness, out of the ashes, a song can rise. God, would our life, would our words, our deeds, would they sing a song of your love, your hope for humanity through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? God, we thank you for the life that you give us, for the hope, the purpose, the calling. God, I pray that you would help me to show honor to my brothers and sisters in Christ, to my family, to my community. God, would you help me to be in the Word so that I can instruct? God, thank you for your truth today. In Jesus' name, amen.